Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode, Jed Fetter stops in to talk about Turkeys for Tomorrow chapter, the Appalachian chapter that he started up right here out of Gaysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, really great podcast. If you guys want to learn about turkeys, this is a great one, man. A lot of really good info and also some really cool info about what TFT is doing to uh, grow the turkey populations and help the turkey populations and sustain those turkey populations so that your children can have turkeys around in the future to hunt, to view. Uh, it's going to be really cool uh, watching this TFT trap chapter grow. So I hope you guys really enjoy this one. Thanks. Hey guys, y'all know that I love my swamp stick. I talked about it a bunch. Um, and I still am going to use it all season this coming season. Um, and you can use it for so many things. Like I've used it this summer for shooting my bow. You can use it, take it along with you fishing, go to the river, go to the lake, go to the pond, uh, the beach, slap that bad boy in the ground. You can hang all your stuff up, keep it from getting muddy, sandy, dirty, whatever the case is, keep it from getting wet. And, um, one thing too is, uh, during hunting season, this thing makes one hell of a walking stick. You can hang, you can, uh, put your motion decoys up on top of them and extend the pole. You can put, yeah, you can be putting a mojo in four or five feet of water with these things. And, uh, so a really great tool to have in the arsenal and something that I take with me every day, no matter what, um, I'm using it to hang, you can hang cameras from it, your phone, if you want to record with that. Um, you can hang your gear from it, your calls, put it directly in front of you, uh, and you can stack some sticks up against it and make yourself a little bit of a, of a, a brush pile to break yourself up. Um, just a really great product, something I love. And, uh, I think you guys will too. use code M A M P 10 at checkout. I'll get you 10% off. Thanks guys. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Jed Fetter. Jed, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody, where you're from, who you are, and what you do. Hi, I'm Jed Fetter. I'm uh, out of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I am the president of the Turkeys for Tomorrow chapter, the Appalachian chapter. We just started up here in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a diehard hunter, mainly diehard turkey hunter, but if it flies, runs, swims, I'm after it. So, And, uh, before we hop into the TFT stuff, obviously you grew up with hunting, like as most people did who are this deep into hunting. So 
kind of where'd you get your start at? Like, where does it come from? I uh, got my start with my dad when I was real young. Um, we would go small game hunting, and then and he would also let me tag along when we were deer hunting. So that was all, we did all our hunting pretty much on public ground, a little bit of rabbit hunting on farms where there used to be fence rows and stuff, but that's where I got my start. So real young, just tagging along with my dad. And through the years, when did uh, when did turkey hunting become a thing for you? Uh, dad took me the first time when I was 13 years old, so my second year hunting. And then uh, when I was 14... I ended up calling in a double and my dad and I killed our first birds together. And that was, that was hook, line and sinker. That's when it got me for turkey. Yeah. And ever since I, I don't miss a season and it's it just something that's instilled in you and just, you keep going with it. Yeah. Yeah. Turkey hunting is something that, uh, I think it's gotten pretty popular in the last maybe five to 10 years. Like when I was a kid being a turkey hunter, other guys who were hunters were like, yeah, we don't really turkey. There aren't any turkeys around. And I'd be like, yeah, they are. Yeah, when <laughs> when I first started, you know, you could go to the woods and you didn't see many guys at all. I mean, Mm-mm. you could go to a, a chunk of public ground and you had a couple hundred acres just to yourself. Yeah. And now, you know, almost every parking lot, every gate you can go to, they're they're full. So it really has taken off in popularity. And uh I'm glad to see it. You know, it's nice to see the guys out doing it. So that fly's gonna drive me nuts. I'm just letting them. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so I remember when I was a kid, like we went to public land, a lot of times you would see like old heads, like guys that were like 50 years old, 60, 70. They might be carrying an old single shot, beat to hell. And these these guys would be out there hoofing it and they'd be like, Hey, how's it going? Like everything was cool. Nowadays it's like jacked up trucks. It's the whole thing. It almost is like duck se- duck season at the ramp, the duck ramp. It's like or the boat ramp, it's like, oh my god, there's people everywhere. Like you, you're just not yeah, used exactly. To it. You know, it was it was the good it was the good old boys that used to hunt. You know, like you said, single shot shotgun. They have probably had a lynch box call on them. Birds and, talked more. <laughs> birds talked more, and uh, you know they were more inclined to share information than too. We're now in an area where it seems like guys are getting a little more hush hush about some right, of their techniques. Yeah. Which uh, I'm a big trapper too, and it's kind of flip flopped. When I first started trapping. Nobody talked about how they caught fur. Now, since it's you know, the fur prices have gone down, it's kind of a dying thing. The money was behind it then. The money was behind it then. Yeah. Now, people are more than willing to share their knowledge. So, yeah, I, the, just a touch on that, especially for turkeys. I, I think there's also been a shift. It's a good shift because I, I believe that trapping has died off, but there is a good shift happening with turkeys, especially with TFT. The National Turkey Federation, Wild Turkey Federation. I think it's a really cool shift where they're putting out all this content and media, and they're like, "Hey, trapping actually does help." Like, and I think guys want to get more into it now. Yeah, and that's one of the big things with TFT that we're going to want to push. We're going to we want to push you know predator control, especially nest predators. When you're talking your raccoons, skunks, possums, crows, love to get guys back into crow hunting. You know, you can do it three days a week: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What better to do than go out on a Sunday yeah. and shoot some crows? I didn't even know that crows were a big uh, issue with nest predation. Yeah, crows will, they will go in and they will annihilate a nest. And then once the uh, the poults hatch, they're tiny and they're a perfect target for a crow. So, huh. yeah. Yeah, so, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that at all. I, that's like the one, and, I, and I've read a lot, you know what I mean? Like, that's the one thing I've never really seen. Yeah, but. so, and, you know, we've... Five years ago, we were having some problems with hatches and turkeys. And now, the past couple of years, we've had some good hatches. 
And I, you know, I've had heard, heard some guys say, you know, well, we're still not hearing as much goblin. We're still not hearing as much goblin. And uh, to correlate that though is we've had some good hatches. So when you have young turkeys, you, you know, you're going to have your jakes, but then you also have those young jennies too. Those young jennies are going to hang around the gobblers. And if they're roosting with the gobblers, you're not going to hear goblin because they don't need to because they got their hens right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jennies aren't going to, they may breed, but they're not going to nest. It's that demoralizing, like you hear him hammer on the roost and you're like, oh yeah, he's answering me every time. And then he gets off the roost and you're like, oh, wait a minute, where's he at? Exactly. And then he's four ridges over because he, like an hour later, because he's done, they done went off and fed on an oak flat somewhere and you got nothing. Yep. You know? And he knew he already had girlfriends over there. So yep. why come to you when he knows he's got four somewhere else waiting for him? Yeah, I, I see a lot of guys too. And I, I, obviously, Targon's gotten big, gotten big. I see a lot of guys who will set up in one location on a piece of private land and hammer that call all morning. And it, in my opinion, I'm a, I'm a pressure guy with deer, turkeys, and ducks, especially ducks. It's something that guys don't think about is pressure will change the way that an animal, yeah, they got a pea oh. brain. So does a duck. It'll change. They'll go what's called stale because the ducks will literally fly past everybody in the blind and go to a safe zone because they know they've been called at it every single blind. It's like the same thing to me with turkeys is if you're calling, if you're going to the same location every Saturday morning, you're calling from that location. And then finally he correlates halfway through the season. Like, I think that's like the same exact sound that I've heard. <laughs> exactly. And that's where um, I think some of the more experienced hunters, we could help some of our novice guys out with, uh, you know, learn, learn not to call so much. You don't have to be a good caller. It's not the call and it's going to kill the turkey. Learn a little woodsmanship, you know, learn, yep. learn your trails, learn your roads, learn how to use a saddle and a ridge to get around a bird. So, uh, how, how to look at scratch and know if it's fresh, if it's fresh yeah. scratch, hunt it. Yeah, it exactly. they're, they're there. Like, yeah. And you know, and one of my golden rules, don't leave a goblin bird to go find another. You know, a lot of guys, well, he's not responding, so we're not going to hunt him. No, stay with him. If he's gobbling, he's interested. Yeah, at least a so, little bit. Yeah. You know? you know, if you have to, outrun him. Figure out which direction he's moving. Go 300 yards out the ridge and get in front of him. You know, I try not to get on the same level with him. I try to stay above him. But if you have yeah, to, yeah. drop down to his level and yeah. wait him out. He's going to come that direction. Yeah, there. there's the old adage that, like, Birds won't work up a hill. What well, the issue with that is, you're you're talking about a bird. You're probably are calling to a bird that's answering, who's with six hens or something, right? Exactly. So the reason he's not working up that hill is because he's like, why would I come? Why would I exert the energy to go up there? And I'm getting ready to get laid over here. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. So you set him out and wait him long enough. His those hens are going to leave him. They're going to leave. They're going to go lay their egg. They're going to go tend their nest. And he's going to look up at one point in time and go, where'd it go? And that's when he's going to gobble. And all it's going to take is a few little yeah. yelps and he's going to be in your lap. And it, it literally happens that quick sometimes. So, yeah. Uh, on private land, a lot of guys that like hug private land. I get it. If you got the spot, you think that you got it. But the problem with private land is if you're on a 200 acre plot and the seven properties that butt up to yours Every one of those could be turkey hunting. Whereas on the mountain, that bird can go if you're say you're a mile from a trailhead and that bird gobbles half mile from you, 
you can just hear him. You're like, man, he's out there. If you go after him and those hens are not receptive to him trying to breed at that moment, that's where you get that nine o'clock gobble where you're like, why did he just gobble? Did he gobble at a crow? Like what's he's locate gobbling really at that point. Yeah. He's trying to find something. And he's doing his job. He's trying, he's trying to gobble up a hen for him. Cause mm-hmm. you know, it's the other thing we need to, uh, you know, uh, let me see how I want to say this. Uh, as turkey hunters, we're trying to reverse the role because normally the gobbler does not go to the hen. The hens come to him gobbling. So when he it's like gets, a sick of deer, yeah, when he backwards. gets to gobbling that hard, he's he's lonely. So that's when you're going to be able to reverse the roles because he's not finding that hen that wants yeah, to come. That, keep that's when company. you can mess with his head. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've had some of our like like Dylan, who's who's outside right now. Dylan's been with me, hunting with me for years, and he wanted to kill his first bird, and we went up in the mountain, and that it was a Jake. But I mean, there were multiple birds hammered in that group about three hundred yards from us, or whatever they were, and all of a sudden, this Jake was like, this Jake decided he thought in his head. He looked around and said, "There's no way I'm whooping his butt. There's no way I'm whooping his butt." Like. I need to go get some for myself. And he just took off toward us. You know what I mean? Yep. Like sometimes that's how it happens. You know? Oh yeah. First one to the party is normally the one who's going to have the most fun. So one of my, one of my favorite things, like my dad this year in Virginia, they didn't get a bird, but this year in Virginia, they were uh, right above some private land in a spot that we like to go in and beautiful area birds up on the ridge above them, hammering all over. And uh, all of a sudden, like those birds are hammering up there to dad's calls but they're not coming and then all of a sudden dad looks over he has a shooter he isn't holding the gun he's got a shooter who doesn't see this bird and there's a big tom like this tom was actually so smart that he must have already bred what he could breed and he he wasn't hanging with the groups anymore he was on the prowl and this bird never once gobbled and he snuck in off to my like my dad's left and the shooter didn't see him and and busted him but the like this big old the the turkey that another guy locally was talking about like I swear there's this bird in here that's giant, and he will not answer a call, and he came right sneaking through some cedars and Dad's like oh my gosh right there. like there he is like it so hunts like that another thing with turkey hunting too is I don't mind I like I love to eat tur- wild turkey is tenfold better than a domestic turkey and a lot of people who eat turkey don't know that but. Yeah, it's it's much better. And so, like, we love to eat turkey, but th- what makes turkey hunting to me so enjoyable, the reason it's my favorite thing to hunt is because the interaction. And when you get a bird that sneaks in silent, it's like, oh, like, I know what you're doing, buddy. Like, it's yeah, just oh, one yeah. of those situations. And most time when you call one of those birds in, He's not a two-year-old. He's one of, you know, he's three, four, five years mm-hmm. old. He's an yeah. old veteran bird. And, you know, we all love two-year-olds. They're the ones that are on, and they're in the roost in the morning, screaming their heads off. They hit the ground. They nice eight-inch beard. <laughs> yeah, nice eight, nine-inch beard on them. You know, you know, thank God for two-year-old turkeys. They make it fun. But when you can outsmart that one mm-hmm. that wants to come in silent, but you still, you still yelped him up, that is, that's turkey right. hunting. Not killing, but doing that is literally my chest comes out of my, or my heart comes out of my chest when I'm like, yep. I did it. Like I got, I caught, I got you. Yep. I got you. Just getting, getting to see that glimpse over him, hearing that. You got him right there. That made the hunt right there. Cause you got him in that window where you could 
fully experience what that turkey's doing. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm like, I tell everybody, you got to try turkey hunting. And guys that are hardcore about, I get it if you're ate up with deer hunting and you chase 150 inch deer around here. That's harder to do. But if you're cha- if you're managing and chase 140, 150 inch deer. All the power to you. We manage deer. We try our best. That's a three-year-old on the wall. Like, that's where the limit cuts for us. But, you know, I really enjoy deer hunting. But when when it comes to hunting turkeys in the mountain, people don't, people just don't get it. Like, you kind of got to be enough in shape to go after them. But as long as you're enough in shape to go after them in the mountains, it is, when you get that 10 o'clock gobble while you're eating your sandwich and you're like, I'm a POS because I shouldn't be eating my lunch already. And then one <laughs> gobbles like two ridges over and you're like, why do you gobble? I don't know. There's no crows in the air. Ah! Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's just the funnest thing. And it's a mad dash to him. And then once you get there, he doesn't answer you. Or he, or, or he gobbles again 300 yards down the ridge. You're like, yeah. oh. So and he, and he call again. Next thing you know, he's already back over where you were just sitting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that, that's the game, you know. And you know, there to me, there's nothing like the woods waking up in the springtime either. That is one of the other big draws to me. You know, the woods in the fall is nice, but you don't get to hear the whippoorwills. You don't get to hear the songbirds like you do in the springtime. And just you know, the sunset coming up in the spring is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Coming through the newly blossomed leaves on the trees, it's just. You got that little bit of a Christmas in the air, but you know it's going to get hot that day, and it, it's a totally different type of a hunt. I had there's a bird right there on the wall behind me, but th- this this bird here was that's one of the uglier birds I've shot. I think that was I was a double up. I think me and my my cousin, but we actually uh, probably five years ago, four years ago, probably five years ago, I killed a bird solo hunt by myself on private land but we hunt we have uh, permission to hunt on a property that's right up against the monoxie river and the sun came up and he was with a whole brood of hens like it was like 10 or 12 hens with him in this group a couple of jakes and then he was the boss and he was on an island in the middle of the river that we have permission to hunt as well he was strutting and i i belly crawled with a fan all the way down, and I got in the gutter, took the fan off, belly crawled. I had to, it took me like an hour. And when I eased up and looked, his hens were flying across to the neighbors. And he was like one of the last birds left. And at like 50 yards, I reached up, boom. I took off in a dead sprint. And when he stood back up, I killed him at like 35 yards. But that morning when the sun came up, he's the prettiest bird I've ever shot. He has gold tips, like beautiful, like an old bird. He was probably like four. I think he went 10 and a half or 10 and three quarter, like big spurs. And that bird, I shot him off his feet at 50. He tried to get back up, shot again. That bird was the pretty, like as I was watching him, my heart was pounding so hard. I think I could hear it thumping on the ground because I was like, I have to kill him. Like he's the prettiest <laughs> bird I've ever seen. And sure enough, I did. And he's hanging up in the house. But it's just, it was one of those hunts where it was so beautiful. The bluebells were everywhere. I was crawling through them, fiddleheads. And I literally got to the bird. I jumped in the water, like off an eight foot, like cliff, slid through the mud, ran over while he was flopping, got to him, put my foot on his head. And I was just like, 
<gasps> and it took me an hour to get to him. And I was like, oh my, I started crying. I was like, that is like the hardest I've ever had to hunt for a bird. Like I'd never reaped a bird before. And it was just like the craziest experience. And that, that is, I literally called my dad at work and he's like, what's up? And I was like, I just smoked a hammer. I was like, I was like, this is the prettiest bird I've ever shot. The sun all morning was beating on him and it was, it was shining off his feathers, like his tail fan. And I was like, Oh my God. And just everything came together. And when I got to him and he was flopping under my boot, I started crying. I was like, this is the, this is the best hunt I've ever had for like on private land for a target. I was like, this is it. Like you doesn't get better. That was the bird my son killed this past year. We were on a, we were on a ridge top and big timber with a bunch of little saplings down over, right over the roll of the hill. And uh, we worked this bird off the roost and he went quiet. So we circled around to another spot, came back because he had been gobbling um, on that roost throughout the week in the same spot. So we went back in there and uh, I ended up calling to him and he started gobbling. When he started coming up the hill, you could see he was he was to the east. So we could see the sun through his tail fan every time he strutted. And it was just the most gorgeous thing you, you would have saw. And then just the the emerald and the the purple and just the different colors that were mm-hmm. in his chest feathers were gorgeous. And he had, he had the gold tips too on his tail fan and uh, just a pretty bird. And uh, my son, little stinger, doesn't know how lucky he is. Had a thirteen and a quarter inch beard, which is a hammer. Yeah, that, that's and, an old bird. Yep. Tonight, the the strands that came out the thirteen corner, there were six of them, but it still it was eleven. The main beard was like eleven and a quarter, which is still really good. But yeah. to have those some that were out the thirteen, like son, yeah, you'll never do this again in your life. I, I shot thinking? my first bird at at eleven, and when I did, I didn't know this is my first time turkey hunting. Like I didn't know what I had done, and uh, we it was on a it was on a private property that we had in Westminster, Maryland that nope it was back on nobody turkey hunting so my uncle who hunted in missouri was like yeah i'll take you he was calling for us dad was with me and um matter of fact he started scratching but we actually we had to like run for hundreds of yards to get to where he was like we got to get there and we took off and cut him off and when we cut him off he was in a hollow below us he gobbled once right over the, the edge of the ridge popped up and i, I shot him and uh, I'm sitting there. We had heard him scratching. Dad's like, what are you doing? Like, Dad didn't even know. Dad's like, stop moving. And I shoot him and all. And everybody takes off running except for me because I don't know. I'm a kid. <laughs> and uh, it ended up being 11 and three quarter inch beard and um, and some hammer spurs. And I didn't know what I had done. And uh, he was like, I, he had killed like a 13 and a half or something in Missouri. And uh, or in Illinois, wherever they hunted, and he was like, "You just maybe killed the biggest bird you're gonna shoot like in a long time. Like, yeah. like this is, and it was my first bird ever. I I still haven't topped it. I've gotten some good ones, but I, not the prettiest bird I've ever shot, but the biggest bird for yeah. sure. I've killed some heavy birds, but I've never broken the ten and a half inch mark on a beard ever. Yeah, the biggest beard I have is ten and a half. Now I have some. I have an inch and a quarter and inch and a half inch spurs on birds. Those those are really good birds." But I just, beard-wise, I can't break at 10 and a half, and I, I'd love to kill one with an 11. Just, 
I said he he's lucky. <laughs> He'll yeah. never do it again in his life. Yeah, for sure. That that's one of those birds, especially a mountain bird. Like oh, yeah. a bird that drags his beard all the time. And yep. that's it's not it's just like when you kill a bird around here with big spurs. Guys on on the eastern shore will kill birds with like one and three quarter inch spurs all day long because it doesn't rub down. Yeah. The as a matter of fact, the sand makes them sharp as hell. But like it's just one of those things where it to me it doesn't matter how big the bird is, it's like, if I, you know, I was up in Thermonic and Tocton last year on the last day, it was 95 degrees. And I scratched, I never called, I scratched this bird in. I knew I was on a fresh scratch. I scratched him right to me. It took me an hour. I had seen him in the brush. He was so weary. He was a Jake. And I think his brother got shot because he was so weary. He would not answer me. And all of a sudden, he gobbled like right in front of me, but right down over the ridge. When he popped up, and like I, I told you outside, we're talking. I just don't shoot young Jake's it's like my thing, but he he popped up over the ridge, and I already had the safety off, and it was like me and five yards in between me and him. And I looked at him, and I saw the sprig, and I was like, mm. I just set, <laughs> I just set the gun back down, but he like. After that hunt, scratching him and not calling, mm -hmm. just scratching him in, it was like, the only call I did was when it gobbled, I went, burp, burp, burp. so he knew I was right there and he popped right up. And it was like, even though I didn't shoot him, I called dad and was like, dude, I just had this wicked ass hunt. You should have seen it. Like, that's, that's what gets me is like, I can chase and I can like outsmart and I can outmaneuver with deer. It's like. I'm going to set in this pinch point, and I think we've been seeing this buck over here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, turkeys are a little bit more unpredictable, that, and that's what really makes it fun. I think it's they, a small brain. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just make dumb decisions, and I'm like, why'd you do that? Well, yeah, I remember, too, from the day they're born, they're afraid. They're afraid of everything. You know, they're, they're prey. Right, yeah. And that, their instinct is to do everything they can not to be eaten, so... It makes them that much harder. Now, I'm not saying a deer isn't either. You know, they're, they're the same way, but they tend to make a little bit more wrong choices in there. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, once a deer is over the age of six months, eh, maybe not. Maybe a year, unless it's a big pack of coyotes, they can fend themselves off. They don't have any prayers other than humans. Mm -hmm. Whereas turkeys have to live their entire life looking behind their back because they're like. Uh, who's gonna eat me? Try to eat me next, or yeah, they gotta contend with your foxes and your coyotes, and hell, now we have you no. Know, I love seeing them. We have bald eagles everywhere, but they're easy target for a bald eagle, right? Yeah. So, and then you know, a little turkey poult doesn't stand a chance against hawks, owls, crows, raccoons, possums, you know, skunk, skunk could tear up a nest. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's so. uh. So let's get into TFT a little bit. Um. So what to start, I'd like to know, like, how did you end up having the idea and then connecting with TFT? So I am, I'm big into listening to podcasts. I listen to the Turkey Hunter podcast and I listen to Wild Turkey Science, which is a podcast mm, funded, go funded by TFT. And the more I listen and the more I heard about what they were doing, I'm like, this organization is for me. And I wanted to know how I could be a part of it. So I reached out. I found they were accepting applications to start new chapters. So I'm like, okay, this is something I want to do. So I put the application in, didn't expect to hear anything back. 
I got the phone call. Hey, go ahead. Get your committee together and let's roll with it. So that that's where that came from. It was just from hearing about the organization. Um, there's several YouTube channels, the hunting public, they push TFT. Mm-hmm. You know, they're big supporters of it. Um, the Pinhody project with Dave Owens, he's actually a board member of TFT. And uh just their mission is what has drawn me. They are a grassroots movement that is looking to put more wild turkeys on the ground. So uh, yeah. And I'm still I, I love the NWTF. And um yeah, you know, there's been a little criticism online. You know, why would we do this when there's an organization already doing it? It doesn't hurt to have the more the merrier. The more the merrier. The the money that we're pulling is going towards the same things. Now we may have different goals, different projects that we want to do. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I have a project going. They have a project going. It's better off because now we got two projects instead of one. Right. So, yeah. Um. That's where it just came from. And as the love that I have for turkey hunting, I knew I needed to do something to give back. You right. know, and it's not just the turkey hunting that I love. It's the turkeys themselves. You know, they're they're beautiful animals. Just I live to hear those gobbles in the spring. There's nothing like going out on spring morning and hearing those gobbles. Or even getting into an altercation with a hen. You know, that is just as fun as dealing with a goblin bird and having that boss hen come in and it's cutting at you and you're just trying to mimic and learn and do Mm -hmm. everything that she does. Yeah, I I find that, um, I find like, what's cool with TFT too is they're still growing. So it's it's a program that, I'm not bashing NWTF and I, and I don't know what they do, but I know what they do, but I don't know internally, you know how it is. Yes. Like, so a lot of nonprofits seem to have people who make a lot of money, but like it is what it is. But to me, TFT kind of is like a checkmate. It's almost like, Hey, we've gotten big enough. We're going to do what's right you guys got to do what's right or people are not going to sign on anymore. Like, and that's really cool is TFT's really blown up. When I first started hearing about them with the hunting public, it was like, Oh, this is a really cool movement going on, you know, three, four years ago. And then now it's like, Oh, like I see them everywhere. Like TFT is a big deal now. Yeah. And they, they just here in the past couple months, they've really blown up. I think it's, uh, there are five more chapters that were launched. There's two in Pennsylvania. Now one in West Virginia, a second one in Tennessee, and I can't remember where the other one is, but there's a bunch of chapters that are just popping up everywhere. So, you know, if you want to help out, go to TFT and become a member. You know, it's org. Sign up, become a member. That's the best way to help. So, uh, but yeah, we are really looking forward to getting this chapter rolling. Uh, our committee, we hear there's six of us on the committee and um, we have some really good ideas. We're going to be doing some fundraising. And then uh, working with our uh, local DCNR, working with the Game Commission to come up with projects that we can do to improve habitat, help with research, anything along those lines. So, and I did, I had a sit down meeting uh, this week with the state biologist to give us a, an idea of which direction we should head and where they needed to help. So um, that was a very, uh, very good meeting. And we have some direction to go towards now where we can come up with some ideas and how we want to spend your money, spend our money once we start fundraising. Cause we didn't want to start fundraising without an idea of what we wanted to do. It's, it's no good not to have a goal and just, Oh, we got money in the bank. 
So we now have some things that we're going to work towards. Um, so hopefully at our next meeting that we have, um, we're going to vote on and say, here's the project that we are going to focus on on our first year. So is TFT like in this area is TFT, um, you think it's going to end up being big? I mean, what, how do you, how do you foresee it? I mean, I hope so. Um, that's one thing I really haven't figured out yet. I don't know if we're going to have like memberships for the chapter itself. Cause I, I'd like to be a member of the chapter because, because yeah. it means something to me to be even local. Yes. You know, so, um, that's something we're going to have to decide and work out and figure out how it goes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it grows big, yeah. you know? So if we come up with, um, say we come up with a work weekend with the DCNR and we're going to go out and we're going to just say something as simple as painting some gates for them, something that allows them more manpower in the woods to be doing their forestry projects. You know, I kind of kind of rub their back a little bit, yeah, and then exactly. Yeah. You know, so if we can almost be of a community service to them, to allow them to do the work that needs to be done to benefit the wild turkeys, so that, that that's kind of the goal that I have in mind for this. For me, and I I don't mean to sound hypocritical, but for me, it's like this: I I have seen I've seen this happen a billion times. I used to be a part of the organization. But like if you're a part of Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfowl, Delta Waterfowl is a little bit better but um, about this. But if you're a part of Ducks Unlimited, I love ducks. So years ago, I thought I needed to be in Ducks Unlimited. I needed, I needed to help out. The problem I was seeing was you'd go to the, inter- the website. I was giving to the Ducks Unlimited. Uh, I couldn't give to a local chapter. They had chapters, but you had to give to Ducks Unlimited and they would disperse. problem I was seeing was the dispersion was in Minnesota was in California was in, and it was like, I'm cool with that, but here's the deal. I live here. Like when, when are we going to see some, some help? So that's why I would like to, that is the difference with the TFT chapters. The money we raise will be for us. So the projects we come up with, whatever we raise, they will donate towards plus TFT will, if it, you know, if their membership dues back it, if we need a little more, they're going to help us. Right. So that's where, you know, I really like TFT's mission. Yeah, I'm 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 in on it. I like I told you I want to help out and and it's like this this is literally I'm not even BSing cuz we're on the podcast. This has been something that I've thought about for a long time because m- when I was growing up and I started turkey hunting, private land and public land. There were turkeys around, they would answer. It was, it was, it's more fun when they're answering, right? So it's yeah. like, there were targets around, they were answering, and it was like really fun, man. We, I, I had so much fun doing it that it, it engraved in me. And I, I, my son, Waylon is three now, but when he was like two, last spring when he was two, um, no, no, he was one because it was like one and a half because last two springs ago or whatever, not this past spring, spring before, we were out looking for morels. I got a little morel pout. I'm not going to tell anybody where that is. I'm not going to help you with morels. I don't care. But I got a little spot on some private land, and we were going in there to look. And this bird, this Jake's are a goblin out in this field. And there's deer, there's deer in front of us. And I'm like, well, look. And he's, he's one and a half, and he's like, Daddy, deer. Look, deer. And this turkey comes in, 
hammer and gobbling. I don't even know why. I don't know what he was answering or like coming to. There was no hens around us, but he was coming in on a string across the field, beelining, ran right in the woods in front of us, and he's just hammering his head off. And he, just, my son stands up and is like, dang, turkey! And all the deer blow out, and I'm like, I know, dude. Like, I want my son, and it was like after that, I was like, I need my son to be able to use this resource. Because, like, my dad tells me about when he was a kid and there were pheasants around in Maryland on farmland. And I'm like, oh, what happened to him? He's like, they got overhunted and the predators took them out and they got decimated. And that was it. My great grandfather, who started our deer camp in Virginia, our turkey camp, he grew up only pheasant hunting because that's what you did. There were no deer around in Carroll County, Maryland. It was just like this evolving door. And I saw that in my head and I'm like, don't tell me that like 10 years from now, the turkeys are going to be gone because there's like, it's evolving door. And that's what it is for us. You know, it's not now turkeys for tomorrow. We want to make sure that what we have continues to grow. We want it for our kids, for their kids and so on and so forth. Well, so so I work around a lot of developments. I, I legitimately see around Baltimore not directly the city, but in the suburbs of Baltimore, uh, PG County, Anne Arundel County, we watch, we'll go in and there's turkeys there. And then they'll put up a thousand homes. And then I'll see a, a two years later, we'll go to that job. And there'll be a lonely hen putting up through the a ravine behind the houses in, in a creek. And I'm like, she's probably just by herself because legitimately, there's nowhere to live anymore. Yep, her home's gone. So and that's where, you know, we want to make sure the habitat we have, we want to make sure that it is, you know, it's there for them in the future. And we, you know, some of the habitat we have now is not, um, it's not what it used to be. So we want to make sure we get back to getting better brooding habitat, better mm-hmm. nesting habitat, making sure they have what they need to thrive. So those, that's what we're going to be focusing on is giving the turkeys what they need to thrive. Yeah. Uh, so the lease I have in Maryland, I talked about the farmer's not a good farmer, like legitimately not a great farmer, but she puts everything in land press. Anything she can get some money on, she does. Well, what the cool thing is old cow pasture she put in land press. When we, when we started hunting there 10 years ago, there were cows in that pasture. The bulls would run you out of that pasture, but there were some cedar trees. Now there's grass as tall as me in there. Crab apple trees in there dropping. There's a ton of cedar trees and the turkeys thrive in there. And I, I love it. I really love it. She let another area overgrow as well. That was in land Prez always holds turkeys. Last year we had one hen drop four or five white phase turkeys. Wow. And they, like, I'd be in my deer stand and they'd be walking past me. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen them yet. I didn't see them in spring, (laughs) but like, it's just cool. It's like, how cool is this? That this hen, and she was a boss because she, Mm -hmm. she would run that brood. Like she would come past you and just, this is my, it was a bunch of turkeys too. It was her and one other hen and all their brood. And and they all were surviving in, in early deer season. It was like, this is really cool. You kind of see it because they had the ability to grow enough to get around. 
and and now we were seeing it and it yeah. was like you know what just having that land that is almost desolate because it's like not desolate but it's like you can't do anything with it it's so overgrown but the deer and turkeys just thrive in that stuff you know yeah and another thing we would really like to do is uh get some education out there for private landowners on prescribed burning because prescribed burning will allow the vegetation to grow that the young broods need to survive It'll give them the cover they need from predators and the insects they need to eat. And um, you know, in the South, prescribed fire isn't even, you know, people don't bat an eye at it. Mm -hmm. Seems like the further north you get, nobody wants to set fire to the ground. And now the PEA, uh, DCNR, they have really started doing prescribed burns mm -hmm. along with the PA Game Commission on game lands. So I would love to get education out there to private landowners to also do this. So we are providing the habitat that these birds need to thrive. Right. And another thing, too, is like like I said, farmer we hunt on, pretty lazy. Edge cover. There's edge cover everywhere because she doesn't bush hog a damn thing. She doesn't care. There is a another guy who leases the land to put crop on. He puts it right up against that edge cover. There is edge cover all over. And we see a lot of turkeys because of that. And I, I just, I, like you said, there, people don't understand. And I, it's not like I am, um, any sort of game scientist. I'm just such a woodsman. Cause I've been doing it since I was knee high to a grasshopper that like my dad would teach mountains, private land, shore. Dad would like teach me all these things that he knew. Cause my dad's a really good hunter. And it was like, I just learned all these things. So now when I talk to people now, hunters now and they don't know things, I kind of am like, what? Like, yeah. That, that we'd also like to see you know, some private landowners know everybody likes to get the brush hogs out in May and April, you know, May, June, you know, wait till July. Don't, don't brush hog them fields down until after the poults are big enough to get away from your tractor. Wait till the hens have already hatched their nests out. So th yeah. th these are some just educational things that TFT is going to be working on to get to the public. And also, it's not like you're impeding because very ironic that a farmer who likes to save money, most farmers do, yeah, would burn the fuel up to literally just cut a waterway. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you just let it overgrow? Because who cares? Yeah. Like, why do you care that there's ticks in there? They're not getting you. They're, they're in there. You can still put up your crop. Like, it all makes sense. It's just like, I think it's, it's just what people do. Yes. And nobody wants to get out of their lane, you know, but nobody wants to go above and beyond. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that'll be our goal to try to educate and get people out of that lane, try to rethink some things, right, yeah. you know, and it seems what's beneficial for turkeys too is going to be beneficial for deer. And it's not always the other way around because what you do for deer isn't always good for turkeys. Right. Yeah. So that's where... There's some practices in even food plot making. Let's do some things a little bit different. It's still going to benefit the deer, but it's also going to help the turkeys. So. Yeah. 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 Just like you said, I think like we had talked about earlier, deer hunters, if they're hardcore, like I don't duck hunt, I don't turkey hunt, I'm going to shoot 150 inch deer. If they're like that, that's their niche. But it, it, to me, it never makes sense. We, the deer that's right there above us, literally came out of that same exact piece of crop or uh overgrown area that I was talking about. It holds deer. So why you wouldn't want more bedding area is beyond me. Yeah. 
uh, and then you had that same area that also helps the turkeys out. It's like if the problem is that people like us who understand don't have three million dollars to spend on three farms and deck them out. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah, like farmers, especially old money, old school farmers are like, nah, we bush hog that, we plant the corn. We move on. Like, that's just how they live. And I, you're right. I think someone needs to say, hey, man, just stop burning up your fuel and just let the birds live. <laughs> yeah, and back to even the prescribed fire. Got an overgrown field that you want bush hogged? Let's burn it. Let's go through and burn it. Let's get rid of those grasses that are no good to any species. Let's let allow some native species to come back that are right, going to yeah. benefit all the wildlife. So, was well, is, is overseeding? Something that like makes sense for turkeys, or um, it all depends because if you don't want a grass field that is too thick, because a little poult can't get through that thick grass, that poult needs open ground to get through. Right. Well, what what I mean is like if you were gonna say it was a it was a waterway full of just like Johnson grass and fescue, mm -hmm. if you could take that, mow it off, and maybe overseed with wildflowers, like something that attracts more insects, like does. Is that something that maybe makes sense? That I, would make a lot of sense. I know that Actually, density plays a part. But. I'll drop a little spoiler here. We are hoping to be working with a, a seed company to come up with a food plot mixture, whatever you want to call it, that is for brooding habitat for turkeys. So that's something that we are in the works with right now. It's in the early stages, but we are hoping to get together with this company and come out with something that you could do that with, where you could overseed and it is beneficial for that reason. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big deal too. I, when, when I, like when I listen to a podcast, uh, you know, about like Turkey uh, science or whatever, when I listen to a podcast and they, they're talking about turkeys and they're talking about all the things you have to do to help turkeys out between trapping and um setting up brood habitat you're you're almost asking landowners a lot you know what i mean yeah and so that makes more sense to me it's like hey if you could maybe go through dish this thing in one time and then you don't have to touch it again like yeah this is maybe you have to burn it in 10 years or five years whatever but don't touch it like and people don't want to have to mess with things you know what i mean yeah and so it to me, that that makes a lot of sense. Any way that you can make something easier for the for you, I own a company. Like if you can make things easier for the customer, well, your customer is somebody who would want more turkeys. And it's like, hey, this is all you gotta do. Take the time to do it. Stand back for five six years. Yeah, that's where I think like, the the educational aspect of what we want to do is going to be the big part because I think a lot of people just don't know. Yeah, and. uh there's a lot of research projects going on right now by a lot of great biologists mm -hmm. that are coming out with the data that we need. And it's going to be our jobs then to implement what their findings are. So that's where we want to be able to be that, that link between the research and let's do it. Well, you said you guys had talked to a, um, somebody with DCNR like yeah, a I, scientist. Yeah. I we... talked to the state, uh, Pennsylvania state biologist. This wow. week. Yep. So, what is something, what is like, what is their goal? Like, what is the, sh it, every state's different. So what is like Pennsylvania's idea of the goal? The, the goal is to put more turkeys on the ground. Make sure the recruitment that we're having every year is on a steady or upward trend. 
So they have a hen study that's going on right now in, I believe it's four WMAs, mm-hmm. four or five. So that study, I believe, ends in 2025. So we're hoping to... Co- believe with a study they're hoping to find out you know where where are they nesting where are they taking their broods to um how many poults are surviving how many nests don't even make it so right we will be able to roll even more with what we can do once that data comes out i think it's a it would be a shock to people to know how the the low percentage of turkeys that survive within the first year. Yeah. It, like, it, I think it would shock people. Um, Like, right now, I think our recruitment this year, if you look on the state, they have a survey that goes on from July to August. And you can get on, record the birds that you see, how many poults it has. And as of right now, it was somewhere, I think it was like 2.6 poults per hen. And we're talking out of a nest of 12 eggs. That's not that's not very great in my opinion. No, no, it, so, it's not. It's not at all. And I I've heard I've heard numbers in in the I've heard it in like the 1 to 5% range of survival rate in the first year and it's like that to me that's not good enough to grow populations. You can sustain populations maybe that way. Yeah. But you it's not like year to year you're going to see five more 10 more, five more. Like, you're not going to see it like that if that's how low the percentages are. Yeah. And then uh, another thing that she talked about is they do a, a leg banding survey every year where they'll go to areas, they'll band so many gobblers. And then if somebody kills that gobbler, they call it in. And then we know what our percentage is in the state of how many gobblers are being killed. And our percentage of gobblers being killed in this state are pretty low. It was a, as low as 20 or 30%. So and there's a lot of guys that complain about us having the second tag in this state. Data shows we're not killing that many. So no, and, and that, that's also a good thing too. Though that means our season and the amount of hunters in the bag limit is right. So we want to make sure that continues too. Right, right. I I've had this I've had this argument, not an argument. I've had this talk with many people who turkey hunt. And obviously, I already know, what's your take on shooting Jake's? Because I don't shoot Jake's. Uh, my take is, if he gobbles and he puts on a show, I'm shooting him. That's why I'm in the woods. I am, I'm in the woods for that type of an interaction. Now, if, they, if it's a group of Jake's that come in and they're just, they're being bullies and they're, that's not what I'm there for. I'm there for that turkey that gobbles and struts and gives me a show. So, I'm not against shooting a Jake. So... I, I've had this conversation with somebody else in the turkey hunting atmosphere. Do you believe if you were to let that turkey go in that moment? And I know because I've I know plenty of people who've shot a ton of jakes over the years. Do you believe that if say there was one year and you weren't allowed to shoot a jake like Mississippi holds the six inch? Beard rule, or five I believe so. Beard rule, like if there was one, but they that you can shoot three birds there. That's and that's not why we started doing it. We didn't know that, but years ago we just decided. Dad, his first beard uh, turkey was a Jake. Mine was that really big Tom, and then we just made up our minds like 
we manage deer. Why don't we just let the young ones go for turkeys? Do you believe, is there any truth behind if you let turkeys go, you could maybe grow a population? You think the hunter pressure has as much to do with it as, because a lot of people tell me when I talk to them about this, I want to explain a little more. A lot of people say, well, only one to 5% make it anyway. And it's like, yeah, but if a bird's already a Jake, he's already scooting around. He's a full grown bird, not full grown, but he, he's an adult bird. Yeah. There, there at is that a, point. there's a study out there and it was a Jake study and Jake mortality. 12% was predation. 2% was hunter harvest. Only 2%. The rest okay. of them do make it. So okay. where the hunter harvest is now, we're not even doing what the predator's doing. Was that a, was that a hunter harvest in the entire U.S.? Where, that was where Pennsylvania. Was, Pennsylvania. That was Pennsylvania. Okay. Yep. Okay. Because so in a lot of states are seeing those numbers now. There, okay. There's a lot of hunters. They just don't shoot the jakes anymore. So as much as people think they are, the harvest records aren't showing it. I got you. Yeah, because I, I was just wondering. That, that's just... And it's it's kind of my it's just kind of my thing. It's what we me and my dad is like what we do. But I I do get it's like when we let Jakes go, and then the neighbor kids are like, "Yeah, we shot three Jakes last year." I'm like, "Yeah, probably Jakes I let go." Like, I don't know. It's just something like that. I, I always, especially on private public lands, a little bit different. But on on private land, I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm just more, gonna let these birds go and see what happens." I'm more inclined to let a Jake go on private ground than I am public. Public ground is as hard it's hard as it is, mm-hmm. and you get that Jake to gobble and work you. That's that's why I'm there. That to me, that's what gets my blood going is the gobbling and just them working your call. And uh, if they do that, I'm, I'm gonna let them have it. And Jake, if I'm three miles back in, he, he's a little bit lighter to carry out of the woods than a twenty pound Tom is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you you put in that, and I've been there, and you put in that much work, and and you let him go, which I I've done plenty. It's like. I do. I still enjoy it, but it's it's like, nah. I could have had a turkey, but yeah, you know and, what I mean. Um, one thing I won't do anymore. I I've killed two hens in my life. I killed one in the fall season, and I killed a bearded hen uh, eight nine years ago. I'll never shoot another hen. That's one thing I will not do. Yeah, I don't care if it's bearded fall season whenever. I I just I won't shoot hens. So there's more than enough gobblers out there to do the breeding. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for yeah, for sure. I, I that's a whole nother thing in itself. A lot of people I know guys really get off on like it makes sense because percentage wise, when are you gonna see a bearded hen? Yeah. So if you shoot one, it's like, look what I shot. I get it. And that's where I was. I was young and mm-hmm. I was like, there's a bearded hen. When am I ever gonna see one of them again? And guess right. what? I see them a lot. I, more than what you would think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Oh, that's it's just one of those things too. Like with the Jake hunting, it's like everyone's preference. You know, yeah. I, I don't I don't it's like deer management. I don't bust any when we go to public land in Virginia, if I see a one horn one inch spike, I'm I can only shoot bucks. I'm dropping him. Yep. I'm dropping. Especially if it's the first day, we're gonna get this over with. We're gonna put meat on the pole. Like yeah, and for sure. What it really rolls down to for me is I didn't purchase your license or your tag. Mm-hmm. That is yours. If it makes you happy. That's going to make me happy for you. And I, that's just the kind of hunter I am. Right. So I'm, I'm not going to criticize anybody on what they do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I hope TFT, this, I, 
I would like to be a part of the Appalachian chapter. As I said, I would really like to work close to home. I don't, I'm very busy, so it's, it's hard for me to always, but I would like to be, I would like things to take place closer to home for me. Yes. So like, I would love to work with that. And I, and I think everybody would like that. I, anybody who is a turkey, a hunter in general should want that. But definitely if you're a turkey hunter, you should be signing up and you should be on board for this stuff. Cause it makes sense, man. It's like, where can people, uh, should they be reaching out to you about this chapter? Like where can people find information? Like, yeah. If you, uh, if you would like to be a part of it, uh, you can get on uh, Instagram or Facebook. We're Appalachian TFT. Um, or we can get us by email, Appalachian TFT at gmail.com. Uh, shoot us a message. If you want to be a part of this, please just reach out. We will find a way to have you involved. So we are not 100% sure yet how we are going to deal with chapter membership. We're still in the early phases of the chapter being, right, yeah. being born. But... um best thing you can do for now, join up at TFT. Get a membership to TFT because that that's what it's going to take to become a member of a chapter too. You're still going to have to be a part of the TFT organization. But please, we're going to need, once we get things rolling, we're going to need to help. So I say, uh, Appalachian TFT on Facebook, Instagram, you know, reach out. We were, we want everybody and anybody that wants to help. For sure, yeah. More hands on deck. All right, Jeff. Well, it was great talking this evening, and uh, I'm really glad you could inform everybody about all this stuff. And uh, this is a big deal, man. Turkeys, Turkeys for Tomorrow is doing a lot of cool work, and it really means something, especially once you're a parent, dude. It means, it means a lot. Yes. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, man. It. See you guys.